there was a moment when I realized that if if I don't want to even use my master's degree, I could go do anything. I don't have to be a counselor. That doesn't have to be part of my identity. And when that click happened in my brain, then I saw the skill set that I had, it could be manifest in counseling, but it also could be manifest in e-courses. It could be manifest in membership communities, in a podcast, in an e-book, in a variety of different ways that I could consult. And so I, I think people often play too small because they think that their profession is locked in. And, and the, the true innovators are usually the people that they're getting information well outside of their field and then saying, wait, what if I did that in my field? That would be innovative now here, even though it's this part of someone else's idea, it's this other part of someone else's, and now I'm applying it to my particular situation. This is the Angles of Latitude podcast, session number 183 with counselor, consultant, and podcast host, Joe Sanek. This is squadron leader confirming hostiles inbound. Prepare for battle. What you're about to hear is the integration of life. Clarity is power. If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. Liberty. We choose to go to the moon. It's happening. And all things geek. Yeah, I'm not sure I know how to answer that. Uh, you got a badass over here. Welcome to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm your host, JC Preston, connector of amazing people and great ideas. And in this session, I'm joined by Veronica Kieran coach of Scaling Entrepreneurs and creator of Stories of COVID. If this is the first time you're listening in, this is, of course, the show where we bring you life lessons or a message from successful entrepreneurs, experts, athletes, and artists so that you too can find and execute your own personal mission and live a lifestyle that you're proud of. Guys, it's September, and with that, a new fall semester is starting for colleges around the country. However, this year is, of course, a little bit different as students are opting out of actually going to class. And instead, many are going to class virtually. And, you know, I remember when I was going to Purdue, I thought it would be a great option if classes would be available on demand. However, that wasn't ever really the case. It wasn't really ever available. And in fact, the only thing that was on demand at the time was music and podcasts. And well, that and videos of, of cats and, and the early version of YouTube. And as time has gone by, you know, podcasts have had to cater to increasingly sophisticated listeners. No longer is, is great audio and great conversation the determinant factors of whether or not a show will be successful. Those are actually standards. And what it is actually, and as we'll learn in today's conversation, is how well the show is catered to its audience, especially those shows that don't have a well-known host. So join in on the chat as Veronica and I learn some of the things from Joe that he's learned as a counselor, a consultant, and as a podcast coach, which have helped him have the success he's had today. More specifically, we'll be learning about how he realized it was time to sell his brick and mortar business as a therapist, what keeps people from creating projects of high influence, and how someone can create a podcast for an industry in which might seem limited in scope. But first, I want to remind you guys about Fizzle. And if you've listened to the show for a while, you know I've been a fan of Fizzle for many years. And if podcasting is something you're looking to do as a newpreneur, then you'll love the courses on the subject that they have over there. And in fact, it's what I use to help me get this particular show off the ground. You know, they really have great introduction material ranging from creation 
to monetization. And not only that, but there's an entire library of courses to help you from anything from uh, keeping focused on your work to uh, connecting with anyone. You know, and both are great skill sets to have when starting a podcast. And then once you have some of those core skills down, it'd be a great next step to begin a course like Joe's, which dives even further. So if you're just getting started in business and are looking for a budget-friendly option for newpreneurs, check out Fizzle. You can get started today for cheap by visiting newinceptions.com slash fizzle. That's newinceptions.com slash F-I-Z-Z-L-E. Also remember to get into the conversation. You can tag us on social media. It can be as simple as taking a picture of where you're at right now and saying, hey, listening to the AOL podcast from, and then share what you've learned from today's conversation. Also be sure to leave a comment on wherever you're listening to the show on. Doing so will not only get you more involved, but it will help other people find the show. And in fact, if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, which is the native podcasting app for iPhones these days, I'll be sure to read it in an upcoming session. And while you're at it, subscribe to the show as well, so that way you'll always know when a new episode is released. Also remember, if you need help in scaling your business the right way, drop us a message at heyguysatnewinceptions.com with any questions. Whether you need advice or strategic introduction to other amazing people, we love to help our listeners in any way that we can. Show notes and show note extras of the show can be found at newinceptions.com slash 183. And as always, I'll be on at the end of the show to fill you in on anything we might have missed. Hey everyone, this is JC Preston alongside Veronica Kieran, co-host extraordinaire. Hope you're having a great day. Welcome to the show. Veronica, what's up? Hey, JC. Not a whole lot over here. Um, one of my clients was featured on Beyonce's website this weekend, and then she just had a Today Show spot today, which is really exciting. And on the personal side, one of my fiction short stories was bought for publishing. So things are moving along despite you know the tumultuous world that we're living in right now, which is really, it's really exciting. How are you? Right. Good, good, good. A lot of, uh, you know, as we were talking about before the show with, with today's guest, uh, when you live in a in a world of of like abundance and you're just actually doing you know adding value to other people's lives and and connecting people and and just you know not having necessarily a um uh what is it some like a hidden agenda i mean life mm-hmm. life just becomes good and since this pandemic has started um that's kind of you know, I'm living the whole label that I've given myself of of connecting amazing people with with uh, great ideas and uh, things things are pretty awesome right now. So yeah, it's, uh, love it. But awesome. uh, yeah, as as we've been talking about during this this pandemic, uh, there's been a, a also a ton of new creators just coming out of the woodwork, and there's also been a lot of old names doing things uh, a bit differently than than you know, we've seen them do in the past. And as an example, you know, I've noticed that Pat Flynn, which we've talked about quite a bit here on the show, because he's been an inspiration for this show and for countless others, I'm sure, you know, he's actually made a daily live YouTube show called The Income Stream. And that, that as that show has progressed, not only has he attracted a new group of super fans, who you know really show up every day to to watch the show, but he's given them massive value, and in fact, maybe too much, because they've actually created their own community on, community on Slack to kind of digest some of the things that he'll say on like one episode. 
And mm. through that group and other groups like it, I've noticed that there's still an interest for people to start their own podcast and maybe even more so now considering that every audio platform on the market seems uh, allows you to listen to podcasts on your phone. Um, mm -hmm. And however, you know, with all that competition of, of people's attention, you, you need to be able to really stick out of the pack. And, and today we're chatting with someone who's been able, I think, to do just that. Yeah, definitely. Um, today's guest is actually somebody who's been on Pat Flynn's podcast, as well as JLD's and Lewis Howe's. Um, but his own show, which supplements his consulting for counselors, is called The Practice of the Practice Podcast, which is fantastic alliteration, as well as mouthful, just in case you're feeling like doing a tongue twister. Uh, but it's the number one podcast for counselors. Um, he's a rising keynote speaker and TEDx talker. Uh, he's a writer for Psych Central, Huffington Post, Forbes, Good Magazine, and others, and has written five books so far. His name is Joe Sanuck and can be found at thepracticeofthepractice.com. Welcome to the show, Joe. Oh, I'm so excited to be here with the two of you. Thanks so much for having me. We appreciate having you here uh, because we have a lot to digest during this uh, quick hour together. Um, so I was just actually talking to a colleague the other day about the perceived ceiling that is set up for counseling practices, that to make a real income, you have to leave the practice uh, and become a coach or consultant. Um, but after getting to know you a bit, I know you disagree with that stereotype and you work every single day to improve the impact and scale of private practice. Uh, in addition to um, people's businesses that are outside of counseling, um, but I know that this realization and this path didn't come easy for you. What led you to realize that something needed to change, that something had to give within your life uh, and within your business, um, both for the benefit of your practice as well as your personal life? Yeah, I think we have to bounce back to probably 2012, which was quite a year for my family. Uh, and as many things are in life, it was kind of personal things that amplified that movement. So in 2012, I was full-time at a counseling uh, center at a community college. So I was full-time at this community college, had this counseling practice on the side that I was working and, you know, had started hiring other people at that practice and still was only doing five to six sessions a week, uh, but then had three other people that were working for me at that practice. And in 2012, as I launched my podcast talking about private practice, really was just saying, I'm going to share this with the world, uh, teach the business side of private practice uh, and co-learn with people. So I'd read a book and do a podcast about it, listen to another mm -hmm. podcast, then talk about it. Really wasn't saying I'm a consultant in any really form or fashion. Uh, and then my daughter, uh, she was diagnosed with a heart issue. And um, so she was about mm -hmm. six months old and she was supposed That's to have so this heart scary. surgery. And she just wasn't gaining weight. And so we had to do these like breast milk milkshakes and she was getting up every two hours because um, of the medications she was on. So we were underslept. She was underslept. She was not getting enough calories. Then finally, she had she had open heart surgery in uh, May of 2012, right before her first birthday. It's actually wow. May 4th because uh, now may, may the 4th be with you. Now has a whole new <laughs> meaning for the Santa. Wow. Yeah, so many wow. layers of meaning there for sure. And 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 then, you know, through all of that, um, she ended up being fine. She's a healthy nine-year-old now. And mm -hmm. uh, But two weeks after we got the all clear with that, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. 
and so we jumped back into the medical establishment and I had thyroid surgery. I had to take this radioactive iodine and, um, and you know, my wife had a miscarriage throughout all of that. One of our best friends had breast cancer and it just was one of those years that, uh, it just, everything hits. And, mm-hmm. you know, on the other side of cancer, a lot of times you hear people say, oh, I just savor every single moment of life. And yes, that was true. But I think what, what really hit me was, is this the life that I really want to live for myself in regards to my abilities? And so thinking about leaving that community college job and saying, would I rather try to do this podcasting and counseling thing and fail? Um, or would I rather stay here at this full-time secure job with a state pension, but never know if I really could do something more? Mm. And right. so I, I ended up leaving. Uh, it took a couple of years to really kind of get things in order because our second daughter had heart issues as well. Um, and we wanted to have kind of all the, the medical backing of you know insurance at the full-time job, but ended up transitioning out uh, and ended up doing a full-time private practice, which I sold last year. And, and now yeah. I do the podcasting and consulting full-time. That's so exciting. Selling a business is like both an exhilarating experience as well as it shifts your identity so deeply that it's also very, it can be very scary in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I took a lot of time to just kind of reflect on that and to think through it and not make any big kind of next decisions. Cause I, I know that, you know, as someone that's an entrepreneur and a thinker and, you know, very active, um, there's always like that next thing rather than just kind of sitting in it. And I have a therapist that comes from a Buddhist mindset that I work with. And he just kind of said, Joe, just, just sit with it. Enjoy the fact that you just sold a business you'd spent years building up. Um, it really allowed me to just kind of slow down enough to really think through, yeah, I just sold a business. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> How did you know it was the right time to do that? Well, you know, our, our lease was coming up um, in, at the end of that summer. And so I really had to decide, did I want to sign another five-year lease in that space? Did I, like What was the future of that business? And I had I was down to about one or two counseling sessions a week. So practice of the practice had really taken off. I knew that every hour I put into that was three to four times what I could get in the counseling practice. And so I had mm. all these assistants working for me, had other consultants working with me, um, really had built that business up. And it was what I really, really enjoyed. And the clinical work, I really wasn't as into anymore. And I had recognized that about a year before I sold the practice. And so I was sorting through, well, do I want to keep the practice going and just kind of be a silent owner? Do I want to Mm -hmm. hire someone to keep it going? Uh, Because it was great passive income. But then really when I thought through it, um, I realized that my family wanted to travel. You know, after COVID, we're planning on doing this massive year-long road trip, you know, living out of an RV and podcasting from the road. And to do that and to have a local building and have all that comes with a kind of brick and mortar business, um, I just realized that the kind of stress relief of selling the business was going to be significantly more than than even if I just had this kind of passive income coming through. And so, mm. I mean, yeah. the creative energy that was released by just taking that, it wasn't a burden, but taking that weight off of me and saying, you know, mm-hmm. I am just practice of the practice now. Um, I'm really glad that I did that. And and now I'm really glad, especially who knew the pandemic would come and all that comes with having a brick and mortar business. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell I so relate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as you're building the practice of the practice, I, I can't imagine that there were many people in your niche who were thinking, oh, I'm going to build a, a business online. So what inspired you to actually get started down the path of becoming an online business entity and, and the practice building space in the first place? You know, I mean, 
like many of your audience, uh, it was Pat Flynn. Uh, my brother sent me an episode and he was really the first guy talking about business that didn't feel slimy. Uh, the, the rest of the people that I had read some books on, you know, they had good tactics, but they didn't feel as authentic as Pat. And so in um, just kind of following his work, I thought, well, if I'm going to do some affiliate income, if I'm going to build other things, um, what should I do, you know, within the practice? And I thought, you know, there's that doesn't feel as ethical to do it with my counseling clients yeah. as it would be to train people in running a business. So I really wanted a clean difference between them. And, and so it kind of started practice of the practice. And then one of the big things we teach now is fall in love with the pain and the people before you ever pitch a product. And so really we had some failures where I tried to launch things and they just didn't work. And then when I discovered that if you build the audience and you really listen to their pain, that really allows your audience to say, you know what, our next step is fill in the blank. Please sell us this product. And then when you do it, you almost always sell out. And so um, in doing that, I, I think that the products just started to emerge from, you know, first it was kind of high-end one-on-one consulting, and then we filled in some mastermind groups. And now we have a spectrum from free things all the way up to 20K plus products. And so that the audience really helped define the direction of practice the practice because we listened to what their pain was and then reacted in kind to what they were trying to um, achieve and what they were willing to pay for. Mm-hmm. Obviously, being able to to sell the the practice, what do you feel you learned from the time building that that you've been able to leverage into what you're actually doing today with uh, practice of the practice? Yeah, I think the biggest lesson that I can take from that is that when people buy a business, they're not buying you because you're leaving, you're selling. And so the more that you can automate any business outside of your own time, uh, for one, the more profitable it's going to be because it's not based on you anymore. Um, Second, it has immense value then if it's fairly turnkey outside of the owner. And then third, when you think about your own creative energy, uh, so even thinking about the book I'm writing, um, I've been digging into when you set very clear limits on your time and intentionally drop things, what happens is you do only your best work. And then you know, okay, all these things that I dropped this week, I need to outsource, I need to eliminate, get rid of it, um, automate it in some way. Uh, And so when you do that um, within your own business to automate as much as possible outside of yourself, you then can do your very best, most creative work. And that's usually the kind of cutting edge stuff that's more risky. It's more of a gamble, but you know that if you land that thing, it's going to give you 10 or 20 fold what you're at right now. Mm. A thousand mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. yeah Automation is powerful. so critical to scaling and to, as you said, to selling and being able to release from the business. So on this topic of building something that has reach in an industry that people typically think of as limited um, as far as its scale and its growth can go, um, I think it's important to address some misconceptions that enter even other areas. So. What ideas do you think really hold people back from creating something, whether it be a podcast, a private practice, business, um, that has that level of depth and scale and influence? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is people having a certain vision for what their profession should be. So for me, that was a counselor sits and they talk to someone and do counseling, usually 45 to 52 minutes. Uh, they then do their notes in eight minutes and then they do that again. And that's that's what a counselor is. Uh, it fits within this very clean box, doing treatment plans, all of that. And there was a moment when I realized that if if I don't want to even use my master's degree, I could go do anything. I don't have to be a counselor. That doesn't have to be part of my identity. And when that click happened in my brain, 
then I saw the skill set that I had, it could be manifest in counseling, but it also could be manifest in e-courses. It could be manifest in membership communities, in a podcast, in an ebook, in a variety of different ways that I could consult. And so I, I think people often play too small because they think that their profession is locked in. And, and the, the true innovators are usually the people that they're getting information well outside of their field and then saying, wait, what if I did that in my field? That would be innovative now here, even though it's this part of someone else's idea, it's this other part of someone else's, and now I'm applying it to my particular situation. And, and so being highly trained in, say, trauma or couples work, you know, if you start to grow as a therapist outside of that, you're going to then start to apply that in a much different way that's innovative to other people. And it's going to attract other people because people haven't seen that in that particular area. Yeah, I love that. So don't believe the stereotypes and get outside of your comfort zone, um, which is attractive to other people who want the same in some respect. Well, what questions should our listeners then be asking themselves as they work to get real regarding any limits that they've put on themselves? Um, you know, of course, their why is so critical, but um, if they're at that point where they know they're allowing limitations in their lives, but they're not sure how to escape from those limitations, what are some questions that they could start asking themselves? Yeah, the, the first things I usually recommend is starting with how the money is already coming in. And so if it's a private practice, if it's a business, if however you make money to survive, we want to make sure that we automate as much of that as possible. So we want to look at how do you scale this thing? How do you create systems that are beyond yourself? Just so that you're not adding more to your plate because what a lot of people do is have some big idea. They then spend 10 hours a week on that, but then the business that actually makes them money is falling apart. Mm -hmm. So we want to first just make sure the basics are kind of locked down before you really dive into some sort of big idea generation. Then I would say most people have two or three big ideas that they have a sense they want to work on. And I would back up from those ideas and stop them from saying, I want to make this e-course and here's the 15 modules, or I want to make this membership community. Here's exactly what it would look like. And I would have them back up a little bit and have us do some audience development. And so really, you know, a classic exercise of sketching out your business avatar, or your ideal listener, so, so that you can really start to say, well, what are their pains and how do they consume information? Where do they go to when they're freaking out? Uh, my friend Kelly Higdon, who's a consultant, has an exercise she does with her consulting clients where she says, the night before this person decides to reach out to you, so you know, say you're a consultant that helps businesses with their marketing, the night before they decide to work with you and you know, send you an email, apply to work with you, what would they write in their journal? What's the thing mm. that sent them over the edge where they said, there is no way I can do this anymore? Like, What did that workday look like? Um, right before they Google marketing expert for social media. And then you can start to get into the heads of the people that you're trying to attract. Then I would do some research around who's already doing that. You don't want to really dig in too deep because sometimes then you can get imposter syndrome and be like, who am I joining this cohort of people? <laughs> and like, I, I have nothing to add to this. But the reality yeah. is you're your unique situation, your unique view of the world. You know, the way Veronica, you or JC would talk about even podcasts compared to me, we all would have a very different angle on it. And we would attract very different people because of just our personality, let alone our skill set. So doing a little bit of research is helpful. And then really, we'd want to walk through uh, kind of the process if you're going to do a podcast uh, of articulating your message. And right now, I think the stats show that, uh, that doing a podcast is the single best ROI for your time in regards to building an audience because of the audience size compared to the competition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with that, you know, you, you've created not only a consultancy, but also a podcast that, you know, 
offers counselors a, a new view of what their practice could look like. And you encourage them to think wider regarding the impact as, as well as income. And so my question then is what advice would you give for someone that say they're in an industry like home inspection who thinks that there's only a certain amount of material there? They're thinking, how in the world could I possibly make a regular show about it, let alone an impactful one? Yeah. So when we're thinking through a podcast, I want to help people think, well, what, how would I make money off of this? So home inspection, if it's to get more people to do home inspections with me, um, that's a pretty small market. So that means you need to have a podcast of people that are very regional. And so if you're only going to do home inspections within 100 miles of where you live, your podcast really needs to be aimed at people that live within 100 miles of where you live. And are there even enough podcast listeners around that topic? So then I would want to start to brainstorm with that home inspector. What are problems that home inspectors deal with? So is it they feel very lonely? They feel like they don't have access to tools? Is it that uh, there's no forums for people to really sort through it? Um, there, there's not a best practices. And so to start, sort through, is there an opportunity to not just help your clients, which would be the people that need home inspectors? Um, is it maybe other people that would... I don't know, be home inspectors. As well, thinking outside of even just that area, who wants to have a good home? Everybody. So if a home inspector had a show about like the inspected home or, you know, the well-inspected home or however they would do it to talk through, here's, you know, in the first say five podcasts, here's the five things that we see that are most messed up in houses. Um, and if you do these sorts of things and sign up for my my course that's going to walk you through seasonally what you need to do for your house, it's going to save you hundreds of hours of time and make you money when you sell your house. So I would start to think outside of just the typical client that, you know, yeah, a home inspector needs to inspect homes. But who else cares about good homes? Well, there's lots of people that care about good homes. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So when you're when you're talking about podcasts in general, right? What are some of the key elements that you think are are needed in creating a great podcast? Like one of the things that when it comes to this kind of a, a show, you know, we always make sure that we talk about a pivot, right? What what got you to from point A to believing and knowing something different and point B, right? So, so what are some of the key elements that you think that that new podcasters should consider when they're starting their show? Yeah, I think that the first 15 episodes are essential. And as we've reviewed the top podcasts that do well in this type of market, so we're not talking about the Joe Rogans of the world. There, there's always going to be outliers or famous people that do a podcast and they can just make money off of you know having sponsors. But the reality is, is that most podcasts are going to make more money off of their own products. So a membership community, an e-course, uh, some affiliate links, that's where they're going to make more money. So what we want to do is we, we want to position you to do the best in those types of markets with your own. So the first five episodes we suggest are that people will specifically think through what are the pillars of this podcast? So the, the five things that we're going to keep going back to, uh, is it going to be marketing? Is it going to be impact? Is it going to be your mission? Uh, is it going to be uh, just feeling good about yourself? So what are those things that we're pretty sure that even if we do, do two or 300 episodes, that these five pillars would really represent what, what this podcast stands on. So we do those first five episodes. 
Then the next five episodes we recommend are interviewing experts to kind of fill in the gap beyond you know, what your particular podcast is covering. So say a big one of your pillars is mission. You might bring someone in who's done some of the, the top research on developing a mission for your business or developing a mission for your family or whatever your kind of mission is. You might bring in other people that can bring in some of the science of health and mindset. They go beyond what you have the ability to speak through. Then the next five episodes are going to be live consulting shows. So this is where you are bringing on someone that really represents your ideal client or ideal listener, and you have them ask one question that in 20 to 30 minutes, you dive in with them as if it was a live consulting session. So let's walk through what the brain is going through through this 15, first 15 episodes. So the first five pillar episodes, that's really setting yourself up as someone that has something to say, not someone that just wants to say something. We've heard those podcasts where clearly it's about that person just talking into a microphone and wasting everybody's time, including themselves. So it's setting you <laughs> apart by saying, I actually have a plan here. Here's my five pillars. I'm going to walk you through this. The next five psychologically now make it that you're not alone in this, that you're part of a stream of other people that are doing this type of work and it's quickly aligning you with those other experts. And so by doing that, now you've positioned yourself higher than maybe you would have started just on your own. And then moving into the next five, you know, the average listener is going to say, great, you know, you have something to say, you're, you're saying something there, you're, I really believe in what you're saying, you're around all these experts, great, you're all highfalutin, but can you talk to me as the listener? Can you actually help me experience change? So then they listen to the next five and they can then visualize themselves working with you, saying, oh my gosh, I want to work with that person. The amount that they got done in 25 minutes in that live consulting show blows my mind. I can totally see myself working with them. So by doing those 15 episodes that way, it really positions you as an expert that can get things done quickly. So then in the next, I don't know, 20 episodes, would it be like a re kind of a repetition kind of pattern sort of thing or what, 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 yeah, what's I think that, that's where it's more up to the podcaster where you'd want to dig into some of the data to see what were some of your most popular episodes. Also looking at, okay. do you have products coming up? So if you're going to be launching or opening um, applications for say one-on-one -on -one consulting, it would make sense to then do some live consulting shows with your past consulting clients. If you're going to be, uh, you know, working on say a summit, you might want to bring in, in more guests. If you, you know, are selling people into some sort of e-course, maybe you do a series for five episodes episodes on a particular solo show. Mm. Um, but also it helps you figure out what kind of shows do I like? Uh, for some people, doing a guest show is really easy. You just show up, you ask them questions, you know, you chat about things. Um, and for other people, you know, they have enough going on in their brain that for them to stand in front of a microphone for 20 minutes and do a solo show is really easy. And they find, you know, a guest show really draining. So then you're able as a <laughs> podcaster to start to figure out for you what what's kind of the best fit for you. All right. Huh. Love that. Yeah, good question, JC. Because in my mind, uh, each episode be a, would be a mix of all three, uh, not going five and then five and then five. So I appreciate that. Yeah, and uh, I think you can have parts of it that have different aspects. So, you know, a guest show, if you're always just asking questions and never throw your two cents in, that doesn't position you as an expert. It's just you're just right. kind of a co-interviewer. Right. Co um, and so you do want to do that. But I, I think having those shows be very kind of clear, the first 15, we know that people, if they come in at episode 50, they're more likely to come listen to the first 15 than they are to just, you know, go back a couple. Because uh, huh. people want to hear kind of where you started. And so you often see that your first, five to 10 episodes are the ones that have the most listens overall because so many people, wherever they enter, they go back to the beginning to kind of hear what, what your main kind of points are from the beginning. Wow. 
something makes me think that I need to go remaster those. I know. <laughs> I, when, I went back and listened to my first episode, and it's kind of nice to have such an embarrassing first episode. I was so insecure and in, like listing all my accomplishments and like why they should be listening. Like the imposter syndrome was thick there. Yeah. Um, but even to be able to say like. I'm still successful with that bad of a first episode. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Uh, so personally, I think a podcast is a great way to make an impact as well as build connections and authority, which is why I've had five. <laughs> wow. um, but I made a mistake, you know, talking about mistakes. Um, my first podcast, uh, I just made all the mistakes actually on my first podcast, but I know many entrepreneurs make the same mistake when they're working on their podcasts and that's that they don't build the podcast into a business plan. So either into the business that they're already running. And so the podcast is a part of that business plan, or if it's going to be a standalone business, they don't develop a business plan for it at all. They just dive in, as you said, like they think they need to get the equipment and the right software and just get started. And there's definitely something to be said for taking audacious action, but they don't think about monetization until they're months ahead and burning out from the workload. So what are some unique ways that you suggest one start thinking about monetizing for the podcast right off the get-go? Yeah, we actually, with our done-for-your podcasting people where we're managing their podcasts, helping them launch, and podcast launch schoolers, uh, we actually have them build out an email course before they even start recording their podcast. And so the reason we have them start with an email course, different from a newsletter, just a funnel, you're walking them through a pain to transformation formula, that you're identifying the pain and helping them identify the transformation that can occur from that pain. And so the first three emails we have people write are all around kind of deconstructing society to say, society basically set you up to fail. And so if you're, say, a business student and you feel like you haven't been able to launch your business, like here's why society has missed the mark there, to normalize their pain. The next three emails we suggest are quick win emails. So what's something that in 10 to 20 minutes, in kind of right after the email that they can do that they're going to get a quick win? So that then starts to build trust with that person that built that email series. And then third, doing three long-term habits that will help them take kind of massive action over the coming months that they're going to be able to see some clear results in. So we have people build out an email course first for a few different reasons. So if you're on somebody's podcast like yours, they can say, hey, go over to podcastlaunchschool.com. We've got this nine-part email series all about starting a podcast. Uh, it's going to walk you through all these kind of decisions and different aspects of it. Um, so you have a place to point people. Uh, as well, you've then already clarified your message before you start recording that first episode. Because many of us have heard those first couple episodes when clearly that person has no idea what their message is. And I don't want to listen to three episodes just figuring out if you know what you want to talk about. <laughs> so if, if, if anything, you know, you go through the five pillars and you've thought through that, you've thought through an email series to put together this whole course, you're thinking pain and transformation. By the time you get that microphone, you're going to have a pretty good idea of the pain that person is coming with and being able to visualize the transformation that they want. So then you have a better quality podcast. Now it does something else though. So in those first 15 to 20 episodes, if you're pushing people into that course saying, hey, I have this free course, it's nine emails, here's all the outcomes you're going to see. If you're feeling this pain, then you definitely want to go check this out. It's totally free. I have a workbook that goes along with it also. Now you can start to do some testing well before you launch a product because most people will put together this whole product. They'll spend time, you know, putting it together, creating it, and then they'll try to sell it to their podcast audience and it's just crickets. So we want to flip that. 
where now we can say, okay, you've got your most invested listeners. You know, say you start and you're at 100 listens per episode or 200 per episode. You're doing well. You feel like, okay, 200 people an episode feels really good for me as a new podcast. And now you see that you've had 50 people that have opted into your email course. Whoa, that's 25% of, of that episode that opted in. That's a lot of people. Um, so now you've got some numbers to watch. So you can see, do I stay at that 25%? Does it go down? Because those listens may continue, but you know they've already opted in. Now we can move into asking some questions of that audience once we get to at least 100 people in that email course. And so at that point, when you have 100 people that are in there, and we say 100 because it's a large enough sample size that you can do some testing, but it's small enough that most people can reach that in their first three months or so of having a podcast. So then uh, you say to this group of people, I would love to jump on a 15 to 20 minute call with you. This is not a sales call. It's for me to really understand your pain of why you're listening to the podcast and potential products that I could put together that you would find value in. Would you be up for a 20 minute conversation? So this again is giving us some stats. So if you have your most kind of invested listeners, they've then opted into your email course, but then they won't even jump onto a 20 minute phone call it's probably not a good time to launch a product because your most invested people don't even want to talk to you. You've got an engagement oh. problem. So then we can kind of be opting out all the way through before we spend a bunch of time building a product. So then once you're on the phone with these folks, the first question you're going to ask them is, what's it been like to deal with the pain you know, that you address in the podcast? So for example, one of our done for you people, she has the bomb mom podcast. So bomb moms are moms that they, they want to work out. They want to have a good mindset. They want to be good parents. Um, so Melissa's bomb mom podcast really helps these women stay motivated and kind of go after things. So if she was doing it, she would say the first question around the pain would be, what's it been like to be a mom? You know, what gets in the way of your workout? What gets in the way of your mindset? Just tell me about that pain. So then she's getting awesome copy from her audience telling mm -hmm. her, here's exactly what I'm dealing with. And so she's going to discover things she wouldn't have discovered. Second, she would ask something along, what would be a product that would help you with, and then point back to that pain, would help you with being a mom that feels unmotivated, that feels like uh, your mindset, you know, shopping for groceries gets in the way or your kid's whining gets in the way of your workout. Like what would be a product that would be helpful there, like a e-course, membership community? Um, you could throw out some ideas or just see where people go with it. And then, you know, what would that look like? And then the third question is, how much would you pay for that? And so if you get to the end and the majority of these most invested people who have now spent 20 minutes with you talking say, honestly, I would spend no more than $6 a month on that. You've attracted a bunch of cheapskates. <laughs> There's no reason for you to go build a whole e-course or a whole membership community. You got to work on getting more affluent people that will actually pay for this or they need to understand the worth. So when I went through this for our membership community, we have now over 400 people in it paying around $100 a month. So we have this massive membership community. I went through this whole process and our lowest price product at that time was a $17 one-time fee automated email course for a year. So I walked them through starting a practice. So I thought, okay, $17, I bet we can jump to maybe $20 a month, maybe $30 a month. Uh, but when I talked to people, they wanted from that second question of what would that kind of magical product be, they wanted e-courses that were regular. They wanted to have small groups. They wanted accountability partners. They wanted live um, experts they could ask. They wanted some consulting calls with me. They wanted to have a free logo. I mean, the things that they packed in there, it was all inclusive really for starting a counseling private practice. And I was thinking, there's no way for 20 bucks a month I could do all that. Mm. Well, then when we got to how much they would pay, the range was 50 to $100 a month. So I would have left so much money on the table if I hadn't done those interviews with people. And for so we sure. started 
with the beta group at $55 a month, and they were locked in at that 55 forever. Their prices never go up. And then we did that again with $77 a month, and then $88 a month, and now we're at $99 a month. So being able to do this, your audience then says, here is the exact blueprint for the product I'm willing to buy. And then you can do an early opt-in like we did the beta test group. And again, if nobody opts in, you don't build the product. And these these are individuals, not like corporations. And like, if you have a service that is a, you know, a corporation is your client, then you can ask a higher potential higher number for those memberships. Right. For sure. I mean, that's where you want to look at the ROI and what you're what you're teaching them. Yeah. So, I mean, for, for these people. So, for example, we've got a twenty thousand dollar product um, that's aimed at kind of podcasters that are at the highest end and people that are mm -hmm. just starting a business. You know, they don't have a whole lot of capital. So that's where we don't put a lot of time into it, but it's high value and low touch. And then the more touch you get to, the higher the price is going to be. Mm. Definitely. Love it. Love it. So. As uh, things have been changing on in the world, uh, have you had any pandemic pivots that you've had to go through personally or or see that yourself having to do in the rest of this year? You know, the biggest thing has been uh, having my daughters be home uh, and just making sure that they know when to be quiet and not be you know streaming on the iPad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I think for us, what we really saw, so we had already planned on launching to our beta test group um, podcast launch school. And that was back in April. And so these were people that had opted in early. They had been kind of watching us build it. Um, they hadn't paid anything at this point. And uh, we did a webinar then. And we had of the 120 people live, I think we had 72 that purchased. And this is a 500 to a thousand dollar product, depending on when they bought it. And, and so seeing those type of people who their counselors in private practice for the most part saying, I need to have additional streams of income. Um, I've really seen that the whole kind of big ideas arm of what we do is exploding because people realize that if I have all my eggs in the basket of counseling, um, that's a huge liability, especially if we continue in pandemic and go into a greater kind of recession, depression. Um, people are really looking at these alternative streams of income. Um, and I'm also seeing with the podcasters that I know um, kind of the pivots I'm seeing is that they're having more and more licensed people that I think people are kind of sick of self-proclaimed life coaches. Um, and they really want to have people that have kind of higher education around trauma, around couples and um, that that kind of deeper digging in of the research. It, it's cool to see so many professionals really jumping into the podcasting world right now. Mm. Awesome. That's awesome. So uh, we're getting close to the end here. And what we love to do is a few rapid fire questions. We'll ask them quickly, but you don't have to answer quickly, so don't don't worry about getting tongue tied. Um, Joe, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I feel like I want to go fast though. Like I listen. You to can books go at fast. Speed. <laughs> if someone's listening at twice speed, I want it to feel like four times speed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you can go as fast as you want. Uh, if you could add one song, one book, and one film to the national curriculum, what would it be? Oh man, one song, one book, and what was the last one? One and one film. Film to the national curriculum. Um, I would say, yeah, I can't answer these fast, um, but I will try. <laughs> uh, I would say one song. Uh, honestly, lately, I have really liked Fireball by Pitbull. I feel like it just <laughs> amps me up. And if a bunch of kids were singing those profane lyrics, that might not be great for their brains, but they would be pumped up for the day. Uh, <laughs> and then books. Um, I think, um, honestly, it would be Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind, uh, all about the history of psychedelics and the potential for kind of a massive brain shift in humanity through psychedelics. 
And then film-wise, oh, there's so many good films. Um, I would add the curriculum. It, it's sort of a cheater one, but the Untold History of the United States. Um, that's just an amazing um, docu series, talking about the the untold history and all that we don't typically see in the history books. Mm-hmm. Awesome. What's one message that's out there that is actually a disservice to youth? You're not enough. I mean, I think people hear that all the time through advertising. They hear that through social media, through comparison. Uh, I would say everyone is enough how they are and that that's a major disservice to not just the youth, but to everyone. Yeah. What name one thing that costs under $100 that has changed your life. Ooh, under $100 that has changed my life. Man, that is a whole under, I don't see, here's the thing. I don't tend to spend much money, but when I do, it's usually over a hundred dollars. So <laughs> that's a very, very true. You know, actually I I'm looking at it right now. I bought one of these, um, wrap around microphone shields. And when I was in my other office, uh, there was a building that was going up next door. And so the quality of my podcast for a good two years would have been terrible. And so by buying this $50 wrap around microphone thing, um, I had a great quality podcast, which opened a, a ton of doors for me i've had that same effect i actually have a boom mic that i use as my my mic and i've taken a a lot of people ask me when i'm on lives and things like this they'll ask me what what's up with your mic what it doesn't look like it's anything normal i've ever seen well it's because i have one of those um soundproof squares yeah on it yeah just wrapped around i don't know what brand it is uh it looks like it's oh it's griffin is the brand okay that i use Cool. Uh, what's one thing that you would love to do in your lifetime that no one knows about? I think it'd be fun to spend a winter in Antarctica. Whoa. A, win- a winter. I actually, right before, right before my wife and got, wife and I got together, I had just applied to work at a bowling alley in Antarctica, even though I had a master's degree, and I had applied to be a lion tamer in Florida. So then I met my wife, and we took different adventures. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> So final question, what's the secret to achieving personal freedom? The secret to achieving personal freedom, I would say one of the secrets is creating time that you work and time that you don't work. Too many people really confuse the few, like the the two. Um, I mean, you think about how most people live a Friday. Um, you know, it's half work, it's half play, they mess around. It's like, why don't you either take it off or work like crazy? And so I think that to to totally kill it on one side and then to totally slow down on the other, to me, that is what I see some of the highest achievers do um, to optimize their brains. Hmm. Hmm. Right on. Yeah, it, it's uh, I can relate with that, but it sure is hard for me to turn it off on on lazy Sundays. It's just like I got all these things to do this week. Well, you need an inbox. You need a way to capture that so you know that it's waiting for you on Monday, but you don't have to keep looping on it on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. I think setting up those sort of uh, like checks and balances. So like my work computer, I put in my work office, I close it, I shut the door that it's not even accessible to me um, throughout the weekend. Um, And you know, really just setting rules for myself as to time that I'm done, uh, you know, when I'm going to return calls. Uh, it takes time to to really get into that habit. But 
it's so worth it when you feel those creative energies flow. And on Monday, when you then come in, you have this pent up energy that you've been used to slowly releasing on Sunday. So you're just like ready to just charge forward. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Awesome. Well, Joe, it's been a true pleasure and uh, it's been a long time coming actually to get you on the show. So thank you uh, for being patient there. And of course, people can find you on the web at practiceofthepractice.com. Where can people find you on the socials? Yeah. So I'm on all the socials under practice of the practice. Uh, also podcast launch is where we have our free nine part email course, all about how to start a podcast, decide if that's your jam. Um, and you can always email me through the website or connect on social. Awesome. Perfect. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Thanks so much. So there you have it. Great chat with Joe. And I have to admit, I went straight to his show to see and hear how he's implementing what he suggested in today's conversation. It really makes sense to do your launch that way. And also, you know, I love how down to earth he is, even though he's been on these big time shows and is doing well with his online business. I think it's great. He's so approachable. And there's a lot of folks who actually say that people at his level might not be approachable and that they're hard to connect with. And, you know, that's simply not the case. You know, many times you simply need to reach out and and generally want to build a relationship with these types of individuals, you know, bring bring some kind of value to them, really. I mean, to be honest, that's pretty much the key. Uh, just for an example, I was recently at a networking event where a gal was over in the corner just kind of doing her own thing, talking with some people here and there. But, you know, what I come to find out is that she didn't know anybody that was at the event. But because I was able to, you know, connect her to the different people that I had already talked to, you know, she thought at, that I was I was one of the hosts, which was definitely not the case because that was the first time that I had been to the event, actually. And uh, later came to find out that this uh, gal um, was uh, no other than someone that was running for U.S. Congress this year. And, uh, you know, there might actually be some more uh, future engagements to help her, you know, develop her campaign and, and maybe uh, down the road her business. So you, you really never know. Just just be of value to other people. That being said, in this session's show note extras, the videos include a presentation of Joe's from the Traverse City TEDx event and three podcast spots, uh, two where he's actually the guest, and so you can keep learning from him. And then there's one where he's playing the host on his show, Practice of the Practice. And his TEDx presentation is about uh, slowing down to have more aha moments. And I have to admit, through my recent use of pranayama, this has been happening to me quite a bit recently, and I can cannot recommend it enough. Uh, next up, if you want more information about launching a profitable podcast, I have him talking about the topic even further on the Mass Media Podcast. And finally, if you're simply looking for info on how to build your business the way that Joe has, then you'll want to check out his conversations with Debbie Dockinger and Casey Compton. Again, you can check those out and the other show notes at newinceptions.com slash 183. So that's a wrap for session 183. Remember, if you're a newpreneur or solopreneur and want to get the basics of podcasting down before checking out Joe's course on the subject, which I highly recommend his course, uh, Fizzle's a great place to do that. You can check it out today at newinceptions.com slash Fizzle. F-I-Z-Z-L-E. So with that said, thanks for spending some time with Joe, Veronica, and myself today. Until next session, dig in, have fun, and take care of whatever you're creating. And we'll see you back here next time.
Thanks for listening to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Connect with us at home, at work, or on the go at facebook.com slash newinceptions, on Twitter at newinceptions, Instagram at new.inceptions, and on the web at newinceptions.com.